This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, I'm excited in a few moments to have my dad, Steve Dow, come and share with us. And he's going to talk to us about how kingdom builders work hard. Uh, You know, kingdom building is fun, it's joyful, and yet like everything in life, there's going to be elements of hard work involved with it. So, but before my dad comes, I want to share just a, a couple thoughts with you from Matthew chapter 25. We'll start in verse 14. Jesus is telling us a story about how he views our work. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. As you skip down to verse 21, you see the master eventually returns from his trip and meets with his servants. Verses 21 and 22, he tells the first two, You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then to show how serious he is about our management of his resources and the way we work with it, Jesus tells us that he's not a fan of laziness. In verse 24, it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your, hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered, scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching us that he expects us to do something with what he's given to us. Right now, now, there are all kinds of things that we could explore in that passage, but I'm going to give my dad as much time as we can. All I would say to you this morning is Jesus is making it very clear in this parable that we have all been giving something, and he expects us to do something with that. Right? He doesn't have the same expectation for me that he does for you, because you have a lot more talents, a lot more abilities, and a lot more gifts than I do. Right? And, and so it's not, I'm not being judged according to how I compare with what you do, and you're not being judged according to how you compare with what I do. We are all being judged according to what God has put in our hands. And he has put in our hands the amount of stuff that he knows we can handle with the power of his spirit, and that we can produce a harvest for him. Now, now with, when it comes to kingdom building, what we under, want to understand is hard work is not just a cultural value. It's a kingdom value, And, and we don't worship work, but we do work hard when we recognize the significance of what God has placed in our hands. When I think about hard work, um, I've shared with you the past couple weeks kind of leading up to it, my, my dad probably taught me more about hard work than anyone I know. I'm the, the second of four kids, so I have a, an older sister than me, then a younger brother, Philip, who, who preached for us in December, and then uh, a spoiled little baby sister, Katie, that got whatever she wanted her whole life. Um, you know, and so, so one of the things, though, that, that we all remember growing up, and I think me and my brother especially, is hearing a phrase come out of my dad's mouth several times, and particularly when we got to that like eight, nine, ten years old, we were old enough to mow the grass and, and really do some stuff, and then as we were teenagers and starting to work, is he would repeatedly tell us, no son of mine 
is going to be lazy, right? He normally said it while we were laying on the couch watching TV. I don't know how that that worked exactly, but it it was a recurring theme. And it, it wasn't something that we knew he was just saying, but we knew he meant it. We watched him work hard. He told us the stories of growing up on, on our grandpa's farm in western Oklahoma. We would go and visit, and we'd watch my grandpa work hard. He told us stories about his great-great-grandpa, who was one of the Sooners that was so excited to work hard in Oklahoma. He beat the land rush and came in early. Um, you know, and, and so, just, so maybe that explains some of my approach to games and cards and things like that, right? Um, but, but just over and over and over again. But as, as a kid, I thought... That was just something our family did, but as I grew and watched, what I really understood was my dad was trying to instill a kingdom principle in us of God has gifted you, and God has given you certain responsibilities and abilities, and now it's your job to do as much as you can. As I I watched him, my dad pastored churches in Ark City, Kansas, and Topeka, Kansas when I grew up, Uh, so I, I came into this knowing what I was getting into. I knew there were early mornings, I knew there were late nights, I knew there was hard work involved. I watched my dad grow those churches from, from small churches to thriving communities of faith. And, and even as the churches grew, I saw him continue to work hard and do the things behind the scenes that no one else really knew or no one observed. I remember as a kid going with him on missions trips to Mexico and we would build churches uh, during the summer. And so I would go and I would stay with him as a, a, you know, a child, a teenager in his room. And I would see that he was up when the ladies were up in the morning making breakfast and he was in the kitchen talking to them. Thankfully, not cooking, but at least encouraging them. And then I would watch him go out, and he'd work on the job site all day, and he'd lay block, and he'd hang trusses, and he'd put roofs on the building, and we'd come back after an eight to ten hour work day, and while everyone else went to relax and take a nap, he would start to to prepare and go through the the final parts of his message that we would go share in, in some local church that evening. Then we'd come back, and he'd go around, and he'd check on that group of 40 or 50 people who'd come with us to make sure everybody was good. And, and about midnight or sometimes one, I'd see him finally go to bed just to get up four or five hours later and do it all again. And I watched him do it without complaint. I watched him do it without ever saying, do you see how hard I'm working? You need to do this. It was just a natural approach to life of this is what God has called us to do. And when God calls us to do something important, we want to put our best effort into it. And so when I was thinking today of, of you know, having, having the, the men who've invested in me, obviously my dad was at the top of that list. And of, of all the lessons he taught me, I think this is the one that continues to reverberate the most in my heart and my mind. Because as I, as I do kind of my, my job for a long time, it's easy to get set into certain patterns, and I know how to do it, and I know what to do, and I know certain schedules, and, and yet there's, there's always that temptation you have to fight against of, well, just because I've done this a long time, I can kind of coast. And that model that my dad set for me is one that constantly reminds me of, I have to work as hard as I can today by the power of the Holy Spirit to knock out all I can so that tomorrow I'm ready for whatever he might bring my way. And that lesson is one that, that I hope uh, you will hear as my dad shares for you. My dad, Steve, and his wife, Yvonne, pastor All Nations Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, they have been down there for eight years now. So yeah, I thought right about the time that, that we became pastor here, they moved down there. Doing a great job down in Tallahassee. Um, you, so don't be fooled by his sport coat this morning. All of the redneck I get is a diluted version of him. Um, so you'll, you'll see when he comes up, he's got some, some cowboy boots on, and if you look close, they're alligator skin, and if you ask him later, he'll tell you about the hunt that led to the boots. Um, 
but if just full redneck, born and raised in Oklahoma, and, and just really a, a great dad to me, a great grandpa to my kids. I'm going to ask you, will you please help me welcome my dad, Steve Dow, this morning. You see these things in my hand, I just want you to know that poor preachers always have props. We'll get to those in a little while, all right? Keep you anticipating what perhaps that might mean. It's a delight for Yvonne and I to be here in Tulsa today with Chris and Angie and their kids. We love this family, obviously, and just very honored to be here with you this morning. And what a great crowd for 915. You should give yourselves a hand. Been in a lot of churches at 10:30. They don't have this many people in it. So, thank you for coming out today and for being in church. I love this facility. Love what you're doing with it, and love the fact that Chris and Andrew are doing a great job here at Christian Chapel. I've known your founding pastor for a lot of years, Richard Exley, and was thrilled when Chris came here right out of seminary and working with Greg and moving things forward. Made some observations as I was sitting in the in the congregation. I noticed that you built a condo for your drummer. It's probably a pretty good idea. Clayton, where'd you go? I don't see you. Anyway, he's here somewhere. I noticed there's a lock on the outside of that, and that's wise, too. You always want to lock those guys in. They're pretty wild. So uh, never take the padlock off until you're ready to release the animals, right? This morning, I'm going to share two basic scriptures with you about... Building the kingdom requires hard work. Before I get to those, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. You'll find that Jesus takes his disciples from Capernaum, which is ministry headquarters in Galilee, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. If you know the history of Israel, the geography, you know that's about a three to four day journey north from Capernaum. They walked that distance, and when he got there, he took them there for one reason and one reason only, And that was to ask a question. You know the question, right? He said, who do men say that I am? And the the disciples said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. But then he asked them again, but who do you say I am? You see, rather, that's the crux of the gospel. Who do you believe Jesus is and what he's going to do in your life? Do you believe what he says and will you obey his commands? And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then in the very next verse, Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Upon this rock I will build. And what should think about that word build? That word build is used 89 times in the New Testament, the Greek word. Every time it denotes or connotates the action that requires labor. Any builders in the room this morning? Anybody work construction? Anybody ever built a shed out in the backyard? Anybody ever tried to remodel something in your house? It's work, isn't it? It's hard work, and it always takes longer than you think, doesn't it? Oh, this is a quick job. It won't take me but a few minutes, and 16 days later, you're still where you started. Some of you all can identify with that. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did he make them walk three or four days from Capernaum to Caesarea Philippi? Interesting question. 
because at Caesarea Philippi, it's located at the base of Mount Hermon, there were three Greek temples built at the base of that mountain, one to Pan, one to Zeus, and one to Nemesis. There the pagans worshipped all the time. But even more than that, at the base of Mount Hermon, there was a deep cave that penetrated way back into the mountain, and legend had it that that was the gates of Hades, or the gates to the underworld. And these Greek gods retreated into that cave through the wintertime. Jesus took the disciples there to say to them, there is no device of the enemy, there is no force of hell, there is no plan schemed by the devil that will stand against the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Somebody needs to hear that this morning and understand that more than anything, God wants you to build with him. God wants you to work with him. He's already promised your success. Have you ever gotten into a job where success was guaranteed? Solid, do we? But he's already said, if you'll put your hand in mine and follow me, I guarantee you'll be successful. Because the gates of hell cannot stand against what he's called us to do. When I was thinking about this message, I was struck by the fact that 28 times in the book Proverbs, hard work is talked about. Did you realize that? 28 times. That's a lot. Almost as many chapters as there are in that book. Proverbs 26, 14 says, as the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. That's a real word picture, isn't it? Imagine the guy that wakes up and rolls over and pulls the pillow over his head and says, it's not time yet. Imagine the guy that doesn't get up and say, good morning, Lord, but he says, good Lord, it's morning again. That's who this is talking about. The guy that's willing to sleep his life away. Chris already said it, laziness is not a kingdom value. I believe that my entire life, it was drove into me as a child and a boy on that farm in western Oklahoma, my dad did not believe in, believe in mechanization until I left the farm. Yeah, I was the laborer. I hoed cotton. I picked cotton. I drug a cotton sack behind me growing up. He had 80 acres of irrigated alfalfa, and he baled those little bitty square bales that you had to pick up every one by hand and haul them to the barn, then pick them up again and stack them in the barn. We milked cows until I was 14 years old. My dad had no problem with saying, this is your day and you're going to do it. I've come to tell you this morning, the master is saying to some of us in this room and some of you online, by the way, Tallahassee people, get off this live stream and go to church this morning. That's where you need to be. He's saying to some of us this morning, it's time to get involved in the harvest. It's time to begin spending time, effort, energy, finances in the harvest. Now, this is probably revelational for many of you. God loves lazy people. Did you know that? doesn't really go through my mind. I can't comprehend that. That's why I'm not God. But God loves lazy people too, even saves lazy people. He just can't count on them. You should write that down, especially if you're one of those people, because this is a day of change. Through the years of pastoring churches, I've hired a lot of staff members, 
made good hires, and I've made some really bad ones, to be honest with you. I've hired some really lazy people, and they last about two minutes. And then guess what? They get their walking papers. Well, that's harsh. You shouldn't do that in the church. Oh, I should use the church money to pay a lazy bum to do nothing. Is that what I should do? No. Move them down the road. Let them go work at Sears, right? You can say amen or owe me. Either one works just fine for me, all right? But I've hired some really good people, too. One of those was here two weeks ago, Billy Seymour. I hired him as a youth pastor right out of Central Bible College. We already had a connection. His wife had grown up in the church I was pastoring. They were married. I knew Billy well. When he came in, Billy was like a bull in a china closet. If there was something to tear up, he was going to tear it up. And it was just his nature. You know Billy, right? You were here two weeks ago, right? He's a little different from your pastor, isn't he? He's passionate. I called him the raging Cajun all the time. One day, Billy came into my office and he said, Pastor, I know how we can raise a bunch of money for Speed the Light. I said, oh, yeah, how's that? He said, well, I've got a friend down in Louisiana on the Gulf. He's got a friend that has shrimp boats. We can take all the seats out of a church band, fill it full of coolers, drive to Louisiana, fill them up with fresh shrimp, come back up here and sell them and make a ton of money. Well, first, I hate shrimp. And I couldn't imagine anybody buying it. Why would you eat those bottom feeders? But I said, okay, Billy, go ahead. He went and he bought 1,000 pounds of shrimp and brought it back to Kansas. What he failed to tell me is those shrimp had to be de-headed and de-veined. So I was there waiting on him when he came back. I was excited to see this 1,000 pounds of shrimp. He pops open the coolers, and I thought, who's going to eat those bugs? And then he said, we got to clean them, Pastor. We spent four hours in the lawn of that church pulling off heads and deveining those shrimp so he could sell them and make a ton of money for Speed the Light. Did he do that? Sure he did. But do you know what? I couldn't walk past that spot for two weeks without smelling dead fish. So I said to Billy, that's the last time. You're not going back to Louisiana for shrimp. He's a hard worker. I love that guy, and I admired him. I've had a few lazy folks even go with me on missions trips. I think the count right now is 61 or 62 times I've taken groups to the mission field. One time, I took a group to Mexico. I had two brothers from Alva, Oklahoma. Everybody knows Alva's out, right? Way out in western Oklahoma. They should have been hard workers. We rolled in on a Friday night to Nuevo Casas Grandes in the state of Chihuahua. We got up early Saturday morning, had breakfast, went to the job site, And picture this, there's a concrete slab, there's piles of bricks, piles of sand, bags of concrete, and we went to work. They never laid blocks, so I put them on the mixing crew. They had to shovel sand and cement and pour water into a a mixer and then put it in a wheelbarrow and carried it to all the guys laying brick. After that first day, I could tell they were worn out, they were slacking. And I went to the room that night to check on them, and they said, oh, we're sick. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What's the matter? Oh, we have diarrhea. I always carried what I called concrete pills with me. I said, here, take two of these. You'll be fine in the morning. Went back, knocked on the door the next morning. How y'all doing? Oh, pastor, we're really, really sick. What's the matter? Oh, we think we have an amoeba. I said, amoeba? They said, yeah, we have an amoeba. I said, boys, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to die. 
You should have seen the look on their face. They didn't die, but they got the slow bus back to the border, and we sent them home. The kingdom of God needs people who put their hand to the plow and not look back. Who will say, regardless of the task, you put me here, you placed me here, you've called me here, and I'm going to go forward. I'm going to share four things with you very quickly this morning. Number one, when you're involved in kingdom work, not everybody's going to share the load. you got to remember that. Because if you don't understand that, you'll come to a place where you start resenting those folks who won't share the load. It's simply the principle of life. Not everybody is going to share the road. You see, every day, every one of us have a choice, the easy way or the hard way. Every one of us have a choice. We get up out of bed, and we go to work and do what God has called us to do, or we refuse. The easy way is procrastination. The easy way is staying in bed. The easy way says it doesn't matter. By the way, those of you that are online and go to this church, if you're not sick in bed, you ought to be in this house this morning. You're taking the easy way. Cut it out. Get up, get your clothes on. You can make it at 10 15, 10.30? 10.30. You can make it. 10.40, whatever that time is, you can make it. So get up, get out of bed, get your clothes on. Please shower first and meet us right here for the next service. The easy way says nobody's watching. Nobody sees me. Nobody's paying attention. I can slow down. I can back off. I can take it easy. I don't want to have a heart attack. You ever heard that? Reasoning? See, the easy way has no plans. The easy way has no forethought. The easy way has no enthusiasm. The easy way has no diligence. But it's really soft and really cuddly. It really makes me feel good, safe, and secure. It's pleasurable. It's luxurious. It's a way of laziness. Understand something. Every single one of us are born on the easy way. The wages of sin is always death. The easy way is the way to ignore the commands and the will of God and do what we want to do. The easy way says take a shortcut. Pull some strings. Take it easy. Don't work too hard. That's the easy way. And everybody in the kingdom will not be willing to share the load with you. You must remember that. But God doesn't live in the easy way God's over here on the hard way. God's over here on the hard road. So number two, remember, many will say tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Or many will say when I retire, talking to folks my age. Many will say when my kids are grown and out of the house. Many will say, well, when I have this much money in my retirement account. My question to you is what are you saying that's keeping you from getting involved in the labor of the kingdom? What excuse are you using to stay on the sidelines? We need to understand God is not a couch potato, and he's not happy with those who are. God is on the hard road, and that's where we should spend our lives as well. The hard road looks difficult and daunting, but you know what you understand? When you really get there, you begin flowing in the power of the Spirit of God, and suddenly what you thought was so hard becomes easy. It's an amazing transformation that happens in your mind and in your spirit when you begin working with the Lord God Almighty. I met Larry Smith, and I know he's a friend of this house. I know that he stayed in your mission house. You guys have supported Larry and Sharon for years. I met him in 1987 in a little town called Arkansas City in southern Kansas. 
was pastoring a church there. Larry came through trying to raise support and money. He preached that day, did a great job. We went out to lunch, and at the end of lunch, he, he said, you know, I've never done this before, but I feel like I need you to come out to Bangladesh. Would you be willing to come? I said, sure, where's Bangladesh? You know, let's go, hook me up. He said, well, we're doing a youth conference in the spring way back out in the village. Now, in Bangladesh, the village means the backside of nowhere. Will you come to that youth conference? Love to. I was a lot younger then, so I could relate, all right? I'm too old for that stuff now. Larry met me at uh, the airport when I landed in Bangladesh. He said, we're going straight to the boat so we can get out to the village. Great, let's go. He said, and I've got a first-class cabin for you. Oh, that sounds great, Larry. I can't wait. We got down to this old beat-up, battered, broken-down boat. It smelled terrible. We walked up the gangplank onto the boat, and he took me to the first-class cabin. It was about the size of that drum cage, and it had two 2x12s attached to each wall. And I'm looking around thinking, first-class cabin, huh? And he said, that one's your bed, this one's my bed. And for 18 hours, we stayed in that first-class cabin going out to the village. But that wasn't the end of it. We got off the big boat and went on a smaller boat. For another eight hours, we sat squished up on this small boat as this guy kind of rowed us through the river. Then when that one reached its end, he said, well, we're almost there. So we took our stuff, we got off, and we walked two more hours to the village, the hard way, the hard road. It's not an easy place to be. No electricity, no running water. We preached by a kerosene lantern at night. The bugs were so thick to that lantern that it would fly in your mouth, you'd have to spit them out. It was horrible. I can tell you, though, I've taken a bath with dozens of women all at the same time in a skirt. Yeah, Larry handed me a skirt called a lungi, said, we're going down to the, pat, uh, the pond and we'll take a bath down there. It was a weird experience. If you've been there, you understand. If you haven't, I don't wish it on anybody. But you know what, in that hard place, there's probably 200 young people that showed up from the village. Some of them had walked across the border from Minimar, never heard the name of Jesus Christ even one time in their lives. And every night when the invitation was given, dozens of them came forward to receive our Lord and our Savior. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the reward is in the hard place. The reward is in the hard work. The reward is when you say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll never look back. It's in the hard places that God shows up in powerful ways. A couple years later, he called again, and he said, hey, I've got another youth conference. Yeah, right, in the village, right? No, this is in the city. Got off the plane, and he said, you're going to Chittagong, and I'm not going with you. Well, this should be interesting, Larry. I don't speak Bengali. No, no, no. The pastor will meet you at the airport, take you to the guest house. It'll be okay. He'll make sure you're picked up and taken to the church for all the services. All right, great. Let's do it. Got to Chittagong, and the little pastor, Ashish, was there. He picked me up at the airport, took me to the guest house. I had no idea where we were at. We're in a city in southern Bangladesh, right on the Indian Ocean. I couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul. He dropped me off about noon, and he said, now, I can't come back and get you, 
So I'm going to tell the chokegar, that's the guy at the gates, to order a rickshaw. He'll tell the rickshaw driver where to go, and he'll take you to the church. Sounds like a plan that can't go wrong, right? The rickshaw driver picked me up about 4 o'clock. I'm a 200-pound white American guy. He's about five foot nothing, Bengali. And he starts pulling that rickshaw. They do it with bicycles. You know, he's pedaling up and down hills. He went for probably 40 minutes, sweat pouring off of his head. He was completely soaked. And he stopped. And I'm looking around. I don't see a church. And he starts motioning for me to get out. And I said, I don't see a church. We can't talk. We can't communicate. There is nothing going between us except he wants me out of his rickshaw, and I don't want to get out because I don't know where the church is at. And all of a sudden, a crowd begins to gather. They're all men, and they begin to shout, and I hear the same word over and over and over and over again. had no idea what it meant. I found out later it meant red monkey. That's what they were calling me. Very derogatory term in Bangladesh. As this crowd comes pressing around the rickshaw, and I'm thinking, go to places any to go to heaven. I don't mind. Let's go. A young man walks through the middle of that crowd. He walks up beside me, and he said, are you Stephen Dow? I said, yeah. How did you know that? Come with me. I'll take you to the church. The rickshaw driver missed it by a block. By a block. But you know what happened in those services? That very night, a lady brought her five-year-old son to be prayed for. He had never spoke a word or heard a sound in his entire life. And when that little boy was prayed for, his ears were open, his tongue was loose, and I heard him speak his first word in Bengali. God's in the hard places. God's in the hard work. I'm talking to some of you this morning. You've said, well, I'd like to do that with Pastor Chris, but I just don't think I can. Well, stop worrying about what you can do and put yourself in the hand of God who will enable you, anoint you, empower you, and enable you to do far more than you ever dreamt possible when you put your life in his hand. It's in the hard places that God shows up. In Ark City, I made friends with every pastor in town. One of them was the Baptist pastor. His church and our church by that time were about the same size, about 400 people. And Wade and I became fast, close friends. He said to me one time, I know I'm not your denomination, but do you think I could go with you on one of those trips to Mexico and build a church? I'd love to have you go, Wade. Wade did not believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but he wanted to see what God would do. We rolled in again on a Friday night, began working on Saturday. I preached Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and then Wednesday night I said, Wade, it's your night. You're going to preach. And I could see the fear, the angst all over that guy. That night he stood and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he gave an invitation, a little old man came stumbling down that concrete aisle probably 65 years old. He was blind. It was obvious by the way he was walking. People around him verified it. And Wade was looking back at me. I was standing in the back, looking back at me like, what do I do now? I just crossed my arms and smiled. It's your party, buddy. I'm just here watching. 
and he did what he knew to do. He laid his hands on that old blind man, and as he prayed a prayer of faith, the Spirit of God touched that man. His eyes opened, and he saw for the first time in his life. You talk about making a Baptist preacher Pentecostal. That did it. Folks, it's in the hard places when we're willing to put in the effort, the energy, the time that God shows up. He does amazing things. That same time when we were building a church, the next night, they carried a lady in on a kitchen chair. Chris, you were on that trip. I don't know if you remember. Carried her in a kitchen chair, set her down in the front row. I had another guy preaching that night. He gave the message, asked for an invitation, and they picked that chair up and carried it right down in front of him and set it down. That guy's name was Jay Anderson. Wanted to pastor some other churches after that. Jay laid his hands on that lady. She jumped up out of the chair, and the lady that was carried in on a chair carried the chair home with her because God moves in the hard places. When you and I say, I'm not going to be daunted, I'm not going to be fearful, I'm not going to back away because it's too hard or requires work, that's where God shows up. One more Mexico story. I had a group with us from Topeka. We were building two churches at the same time in the Sea of Durango. We had over 80 people on that team. One was a very large church. It would probably seat 500. The other one was very small, maybe seat 100. But they had poured a baptistry. First time I'd ever seen it in a Pentecostal church in Mexico. They had poured a baptistry in that floor. Tom Allen was with us. Y'all remember Tom Allen. Tom was deaf. He was literally, what's the word I'm looking for? He was a NASA engineer his entire career. He had retired to Topeka. Brilliant mind. Tom was way up high on a scaffold, probably 20 feet above the floor, and then the baptistry's another five, six, four in the ground. He was way up high, and for some reason, I, I never did know why I wasn't there, but Tom fell. And he fell that entire distance onto the concrete floor of that baptistry. The people telling me about it said, we just knew he was dead, but we couldn't believe it when he hopped up with a big old smile on his face saying, there's nothing wrong with me. I asked him later, and he said, oh, it was like being on a feather bed. The angels held me up. When you go to the hard places, God always shows up. When you're willing to put in the effort, God always shows up. Stop saying tomorrow. Stop saying when this occurs. Then I will get involved. Today is the day for you to put your hand to the plow. Number three, many of us will miss the greatest blessings of the kingdom by refusing to put our hand to the plow. But when we work hard, when we go where God leans, we will see God expand the kingdom through our labors, through our efforts, through our prayers, and we will see amazing things. In 1999, I don't know if you guys know this guy, his name is Doug Marsh. He's the International Royal Ranger Leader for the Assemblies of God. He became a friend of mine when I was in college at Central Bible College, and we maintained that friendship through the years. He's even came to Tallahassee and preached for me. That particular time, we were building a Royal Ranger campground in the rainforest of Costa Rica, just south of the Nicaraguan border. When we got there, there was tall grass, pineapple plantations, woods behind us, the forest behind us. 
And they told us now, walk only on the paths that we have cut because there's snakes here. We've killed several very poisonous snakes. Don't go in the grass. So we all heeded that lesson. We're not going to walk in the grass. We'd wake up every morning to the howler monkeys, and they actually bark. They don't howl. We could hear the macaws and the parakeets every day. Beautiful, beautiful tropical setting. I think I had 30 men on that trip with me. By the last day, seven days later, I was pretty tired. And I got up early, probably at 4.30 or 5 that last morning. We're going to pack up, get on the bus, go back to the city, and then head home. And I didn't want to make a lot of noise and wake anybody up, so I just topped off my bunk, had on shorts, slipped my feet in a pair of flip-flops, sandals, and took off to the cook shack. It was about a quarter mile away. I'm just going to go up here and get some coffee and have some time to think about this trip and process everything. And I don't know why, I just did it. Instead of staying on the cut path, I cut through the tall grass. About halfway to the cook shack, I felt something hit me on my left ankle. I thought I'd stepped on another stick and it hit my ankle. Walked on up there and looked at it and there was blood. I wiped it off, sat down, got some coffee, ignored it. Within a few minutes, I started getting sick. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse. When I finally got home, I went to the doctor who had spent a lot of his career in Africa. He said, you've been bit by a snake. Started communicating with Doug. It felt like my body was on fire and burning up from the inside out. My ankle was like this big around. Started communicating with him, and he was communicating with a scientist there in the region. What are these symptoms? What it describes? Describes the bite of a two-step snake. Typically, when they bite you, you take two steps and you're dead. So they started saying, well, why do you think he survived? The scientist said, well, probably because the snake had already bit something that morning, released most of his venom, so he got very little of it. I was telling that story to Hudson, one of our grandchildren, a couple of years ago. He looked at me and he said, Pops, that's not true. That's not right. God protected you just like he did Paul in the Bible. So the snake bite didn't hurt you. I can't say it didn't hurt me. I was sick for six weeks, but I recovered. I'm here to tell you today, even in the hard places when hard things happen, if you press on, God is going to be faithful. God is going to be true. He's going to see you through. He's going to make sure his will is accomplished in and through your life. You say, oh, but you're just old school. You're an old man. You don't understand the way things are today. All we have to do is turn the lights down, strum a C on the guitar, maybe a B flat. That's a church key. If we really want to get righteous, we go to a D minor and sound kind of Jewish. That's all we have to do. I got news for you. The master is looking for laborers. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. From the Passion Translation, it says, He turned to the disciples and said, The harvest is huge and ripe, but there's not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. The word translated thrust out in the Passion comes from the Greek word ekbalo, The word ekbalo is used 29 times in the New Testament, and it's used almost exclusively when it comes to casting out demons. It's a violent act. So 
when Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth, in the King James, send forth laborers, he's saying that the Lord will thrust them forward, push them out, cause them to go. Buddy, can you catch a ball? It's not just a little old simple thing. It's like that. Thrust them out. It's hard. It's fast. It's violent. God is looking for people today who will be thrust out. I bought this for Chris. I, I don't remember how old you were. I always brought back swords and knives and what other trinkets boys like from the mission field. He and his brother have offices filled with them. But this is a sickle, a scythe. It's used in southern Asia and Bangladesh to harvest rice. I've never told him this story. But when I bought one of these for him and his brother, I prayed over him. I said, God, make these two boys harvesters. Let them reach more than I will ever reach. Let them go where I will never go. Let them build the kingdom as I will never see in my life and ministry. This sickle, this scythe, has such significance because it means whoever picks it up is going to thrust it into the harvest. Stand to your feet with me today, please. Heads about, eyes are closed. Father, I pray now that you call harvesters, hard workers, into the harvest field. That passage in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, the word laborers can be translated laborers, reapers, harvesters. Every one of those terms mean hard work. And it requires people who are willing to work hard to advance the kingdom of God. You're in this room this morning, and you say, your word touched my heart. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and I want to do more than I've ever done before. I'm not saying you're not involved, but you want to do more than you've ever done before. Give more, go more, pray more, sin more, work more than you've ever done before to advance the kingdom of God. That's you right where I just slipped up that hand. Say, that's me. You hit my heart today. I want to do more. Come on, hold it high. Don't be ashamed. You want to be a laborer. Put me in the harvest field. Thrust me out. Father, I pray for these whose hands are raised today that you will use them. Use them through this church to advance the kingdom of God. I'm thrilled to see so many young people with their hands raised saying, use me, I'm speaking to you prophetically. Some of you, God's going to send to the far reaches of the earth. Some of you, God's going to send to the northeast side of Tulsa. Some of you, God's going to send into the public school system. Some of you is going to send to corporate America. But wherever he sends you, your responsibility is the same. Work hard, reap the harvest. Work hard, reap the harvest. Put your hand to the plow and never look back. Now let that anointing rest upon them to make them great laborers in your harvest field. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.